Welcome to the podcast Rise and Play. I am Sophie Vaux, your podcast host. I bring together leaders, entrepreneurs, fund makers, investors, and educators who are here to make a change in the industry. For a brighter and healthier future of the games we will make, and how we will make them. We're here to start a conversation because listening and asking the hard questions is sometimes enough to inspire change in us, to take the leap to. Let's begin. Today I am super excited to have Tara with me. Tara Mustafa is an award-winning seasoned game designer and producer. Her experience in gaming is vast as she's worked with Backbone Entertainment, Microsoft and EA on titles such as the skate series, Monster Lab, and Death Jr. Her bewitching work doesn't stop at game design and production, as she and Code Coven have been recognized for their work by the Game Awards, Future Class, Women in Games Global Awards, and MCV Develop Awards. She founded Code Coven in 2019 with the aim of making careers in the game industry achievable and nurturing for marginalized community. She's passionate about amplifying underrepresented voices and through her educational work with Code Coven, seeks to give them the building blocks to make their magic happen. Tara and I know each other since a few years, and uh, finally I was among her first students in Code Coven program. And since then, we've been friends supporting each other in our initiatives. So hi, Tara. Uh, really pleased to have you. How do you feel today? I'm good. Hi, Sophie. Thank you for having me. It's uh, very exciting to be here. Great. Then uh, let's start right in talking about the things we are passionate about, games. So I was curious, actually, how you started in games and uh, which games you work on? What were your roles on games? Yeah, so I... I started in games a very long time ago. I barely like to admit it, but I actually ended up getting uh, two diplomas, uh, one in Montreal and one in Vancouver in game design, because it was the first time that educational opportunities had arisen to be or were provided for people. Before that, people getting into the games industry had stories of meeting somebody at GameStop and then suddenly being hired and working in a game studio. So it was the first time these accessible routes were open to me. And that was about 20 years ago now. And so from there, I you know got a job straight out of school. And I actually, my first title was as a scripter and a level designer on the Death Junior franchise as part of Backbone Entertainment. And then from there, I've, uh, I think I've worked over 10 titles, 11 titles, games titles over the past 15 years, including being a level designer and uh, in charge of designing the progression system for the uh, Skate 2, Skate 3 franchise and doing, um, becoming a creative director at Playable, which worked on football and predictable sports games and community-based games and working at Microsoft on sort of Facebook free-to-play games. So I've had a really sort of vast career touching a lot of different platforms and styles and genres as I worked up the career path in design and production. Wow, that's impressive. I actually didn't know in uh, so much details, actually, even your background. So uh, I'm impressed just by listening to it, you know, in the series. So you're among the few women, like uh, I, I know as well, with such an impressive background in gaming and having also quite uh, deep in design, so as a designer. So that's awesome. Today, you are a bit less in games. So I wanted also to understand a bit more the root of 
what happened when you started Code Coven? When was it? You know, if you could walk us through a bit of a journey. Yeah, so I started Code Coven in 2018, actually, and it feels like ages ago now, but I guess it's not that long ago. And it really stemmed from, you know, my path in as being one of very few women that I knew in the games industry, because I've always been involved in diversity initiatives. And for me, when I started Code Coven, it was really about how do I remove barriers and demystify the success of sort of the great men or the great designers and the great uh, game developers that we've, uh, you know, at that time were sort of idolizing. And there was this mystification around them of how they just sort of came packaged with great speaking skills and uh, confidence and uh, style even, you know, as much as you could say that in the games industry. And through the work that I was doing with my own personal business coach and uh, researching things in schools of, in the School of Life, which is another vocational college based on soft skills, I was like, this is what's lacking from the game development industry and the awareness that all of these things do funnel into these icons for us. How do we make that more accessible and fair for all of the people who, who, who aren't being represented at higher levels uh, within the industry? So I started Code Coven with the, the goal to fix that. And we've had a really incredible, yeah, past two and a half, three years, I guess. That's a great reason to start as well the initiative and there's so much to do. Uh, you know, in the game industry. So making accessible, especially that kind of knowledge to also have a more varied uh, workforce, uh, different personalities as well, individuals working games. It's great to have started to contribute to it. So thanks for sharing and even starting Code Coven. I, I know because I was part of it. Thank you for being a part of it. Yeah, exactly. I was very <laughs> lucky to to have you as part of the first cohort. So, yeah, and I'm so happy that it's still like really running big today and having like each season with uh, new students. It's it's amazing to watch it grow. Then a bit further as well because I'm intrigued about your uh, choice after all these years. You know, in gaming, we're really hands on game development. I mean, really hands on with design. What made you go to the educational path instead of, for example, building your own studio, which is also another route that is also very valid? That's a great question. I never thought I would be in this position, to be honest. (laughs) I think what lies at the core of it is that um, I do have a very strong passion for design and almost breaking things and then fixing them. And it's also why I'm so great at uh, testing games, because I always find a way to break them. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I went down the path of founding my own studio or co-founding my own studio with both Playable and then also with Glow Up Games. And what I realized is that there is so much work to be done in removing the barriers, whether it's as female founders who are trying to find uh, money to be able to start their own game development studios or people of marginalized race and genders uh, finding those same challenges or elevating their career paths and breaking that glass ceiling and then uh, just what the work-life balance is for people who are primary caregivers within their homes as we do get older in this games industry and I can design I love designing games I, you know, I, I just love getting in there. I love making things feel good. I love systems and I love making people feel things and triggering an unknown response, you know, just through the experience. It's just something I truly, truly love. But there are so many 
amazing stories out there and amazing developers and designers out there who aren't getting the time of day because of the lack of experience or access or growth paths that are supporting them. So I can always, I feel like I can always go back to making games in some way, but the stronger, the, the, the better position I am in is to be able to enable those voices to be heard and to kind of break these intrinsic, you know, unconscious, invisible biases and systems that have been designed by society and reform them for something that is just wholly better, more inclusive and just a wonderful, kinder place to be. Do you find the same thing with the work that you're doing? I think I came to the point as well where, yes, I can start another, you know, studio or a company and another game. And it's things that I've done before, but always the limiting factor never changes. I think I have observed that over time and experience. And uh, it leads to a point of frustration, like, what can I do about it? Can I change things where I am at? Or can I be part of a bigger change, which is the ecosystem, the industry? And especially, I think you mentioned something with age and experience where, well, not that young, but not that old either, but not that young anymore, where you have all the energy, you know, to pursue <laughs> a venture than another. And uh, I feel this is a point as well of experience where, Having a good network, having maybe a, a different vision helps to create different initiatives that have a bigger impact in the industry, not just at a studio level, but really industry ecosystem level. And using the same energy as you could do in a studio to really have an impact, a big impact that you can actually you know, have. But like you, what you did with Coven and a lot of students graduated and going on for jobs or even building the company, it's amazing. And the impact is real, you know, so you're not impacting anymore, just your, your team, your studio, of course, with the games you make. But here it's even bigger because you invest in future developers who will impact, you know, other people, audiences with the games they will make. So it's a multiplayer effect. <laughs> exactly it's really exciting seeing all the amazing things that they're creating and things that you don't it, it's 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 wonderful to don't you find like as a developer when you're surprised by something and it's something you've never seen before or experienced and a story you've never heard and it's just it's really wonderful I love that yeah I have experienced it quite a lot with uh, my team so my team also is very diverse I, I build it with this in mind you know what kind of games could we create if we had very different people? And just like setting up the environment, a good culture, but uh, see what happens. And I'm amazed sometimes of the ideas that can come up and uh, the, the types of features that are created. I, I'm just observing like this is never something I could have come up alone for sure. And that's because I do you do you think you know for me at Code Coven, it's about creating an environment where people feel safe and secure that they can experiment, that they can express themselves, that they can be almost sort of less of the politics that I feel like we've gotten used to. And that's the funny thing, like I feel like I'm, I'm indoctrinated into these systems of politics and trying to have to be in a way something that I'm not necessarily like, you know, that, oh, she's a bossy woman mm -hmm. or she's having to play those kind of things. But then if I can remove that for the people who are parts of the teams and the cohort and create just this really authentic, honest, caring, kind environment, that is what generates the ability for people to communicate like that and to share and to, yeah, to, to collaborate. Do you, do you find that's the same thing with the structure that you've created? Yeah. 
And I remember as well, like in the season I was with you, with the students and uh, looking at the project, the uh, PGX, and I, I could relate a lot to that. And you went even further, I would say, for the program you've made. But this feeling of safety and freedom where really you're safe and even if you make a mistake, even if you're wrong, even if you do something that maybe was useless and, you know, and we find out, okay, maybe it was a waste of time. There's a feeling of safety. We are here together experimenting and nothing bad will happen. So it unlocks a lot of creativity and things a bit weird that people will try to do just to play. So it becomes a playful environment, which is the base, by the way, of making games. I think we missed, uh, it, it's, it disappeared a bit over time where so much focus on business and performance where we forget about the origin of the games. It needs to be playful. And if we are not in a playful environment where we are safe to play, take risks, mm-hmm. break things, you know, then we miss a bit like the really the purpose of what makes a game and what creates something new. And I was curious then a bit more about the limitations that you can have when the your own experience, you were building a studio, pushing for games, what led you to Code Coven. What were the things you actually saw yourself, the limits you, you faced and you couldn't really do anything about it? Yeah, I have, uh, I mean, it's it's a bit selfish, it feels like, of me to be able to create a kind of school based around my own uh, trauma, if you will, or experience or lack of, um, and just seeing what people uh, were experiencing around me. And I think it all started with when I my first ever job in the games industry, because I, you know, as a sole designer, I had no other, you know, at the time I was looking very much through the the female woman lens of like, well, I have no other women to talk to in my field. And I remember kind of being in tears and reaching out to my own uh, department head uh, at my old college saying, do you know anybody I can talk to? Because I am, I felt like there was a, a miscommunication in how I was communicating versus how other people were being understood. And I felt like there was this constant need to have to walk into a meeting and say, hi, I'm Tara. I'm actually, and at the time, you know, that they had the sort of stigma or the the label of I'm a hardcore gamer and I have a gamer points that are you know this many achievement points and I deserve to be here you know I am legitimately a gamer which was just ridiculous (laughs) Um, but finding um, somebody you know to talk to because at the same time to be passionate about uh, games or design for me would often come out in, in a point of frustration where I would feel like being in tears because I was angry (laughs) and frustrated not because I was sad and you know then of course you'd had to fight that because Mm -hmm. and not show it because no you don't you're not allowed to cry in the boardroom you know but then again how are you supposed to communicate and be heard when you're constantly being talked over or somebody else and they don't do it it's not with maliciousness you know it's not somebody intentionally trying to do this these are systemic behaviors which have just been indoctrinated from a very young age through our just through our ecosystems you know so that's sort of the the origin story of where it all began and then to go through you know the stigma of being one of the guys and then trying to be in a position of leadership and asserting oneself but being then bossy or hard to work with or one of those women and then you know with as that sort of developed looking at the double standard in which people could express themselves 
and then also just seeing like I remember once walking away from a job interview at a company in Vancouver and seeing that everybody I was uh, you know I was in a sort of a boardroom and I had four men white cis male guys sitting across from me and I don't think they realized it but they were all wearing light wash denim jeans that were slightly baggy kind of like that dad jean kind of look with white t-shirts and they both they all had black leather jackets and I'm just sitting there going do they have any idea that did they call each other up and say this is what we're wearing today guys <laughs> you know but it was that kind of homogenization that I don't think they were aware of and it became very clear to me that as a mixed race woman on the other side of the table one of these things doesn't necessarily belong. <laughs> you know, so it's like, well, why, again, why is that happening? You know, how do we fix the systems? And then seeing how I have friends who are primary caregivers at work who can't keep up with a crunch culture. They have to pick up their kids from school at a certain time, feed them, clothe them, bathe them, put them to bed, spend some time with their partners. And then they log back on to work and work until three o'clock in the morning. And then they're back up at 6 a.m. to take their kids to school just to keep up with this culture of we're going to stay late at work, get free food, play some games, but then just work on the side. That's not sustainable. But then again, with Glow Up, the lack of funding being provided to people, uh, you know, or just not necessarily with Glow Up in particular, but just seeing the journey of what it is to fundraise as primarily a female founded team versus the stories that I hear of my white cis male counterparts who are just like, yeah, we just make up the numbers and sell it real well. And then we get money. And here I am looking at the stories of other female founders and it's the amount of due diligence and validation that they have to go through by comparison, even though they have way more experience and ship titles is remarkable and entirely unfair. Yeah. So I think um, yeah, <laughs> in a nutshell, those are all the things that we're trying to fix at Code Coven. I am a hundred percent behind also this mission where thanks again also for sharing your experience because I think it's also for the audience here. It's not, I would say openly, there are not a lot of forums where we would openly share these events and the reality that we are facing, uh, whether as a caregiver, as you mentioned, which is quite hard to catch up with, uh, you know, you will never be able to be at the same level because you don't have the same maybe responsibility or obligations in your personal life uh, and also the bias that we are at the end of and uh, unfortunately not everyone is conscious about it and we can just see the result of it and be, feel frustrated about it so uh, it's uh, it's really nice again to have initiatives starting to support and, and change you know more of a system maybe opening eyes of other ways of making games with different people where I wait for the day when we will not be called or seen ourselves, even seeing ourselves as minority, but a norm, you know, there are games made by many different people in many different ways. And what we call games is a very broad term these days. And by the way, it's, uh, I don't think it's selfish at all as a reason to start actually uh, an initiative that is, has a personal origin to you. I think it's quite natural because uh, behind all the efforts, time, energy, and even the pain of the journey, in, we need a very strong uh, why we are doing this. Uh, the same reason why I'm doing, you know, uh, Rise and Play. So I totally understand. And I think it's great because we need this kind of energy and motivation just to lift all of this. You know, Cut Coven is a big uh, venture. Thank you. That's very kind and generous of you. I appreciate it. 
<laughs> and on this time when you're putting um, on Kotkoven, I was wondering, then you also mentioned, you told me before that you decided to focus 100% on Kotkoven. Is that right? Mm -hmm. How are you, are you paid for this? How do you live, you know, on a venture like this for several years? You have any form of funding? I was curious about it as well. Yeah, so it's it's been a wild adventure, <laughs> not a necessarily easy one. I founded Code Coven basically with my own savings and earnings of you know starting out these very it's, it's everything that we learn in game development. Start up with a very small focus group, a test, validate that, and then grow and scale and um, all of that and. You know, I had run the very first pilot programs, uh, just bootstrapping that myself and then getting a small friends and family raise in the interim. And then what happened with, you know, remarkably like last year with the pandemic and the Black Lives Matter movement was, I, you know, talked to the Code Coven team. And that's primarily at that time it was Francesca, you know, our curriculum director, who you know, and Carla, your alumni, also from your class, coming together and saying, there are so many students out there who are getting their in-person internships cancelled due to the pandemic. We're in a position where we've been doing remote training for over a year now with studios giving them experience we could fill this gap and we didn't have any money and we're going to pay them stipends as well. We didn't have any money for this at the beginning of that and hustled like crazy, like uh, bless Carla, she went for it. And we were able through the generosity of sponsors and studios raise enough money to be able to pay staff as well as pay stipends for the, I think it was uh, 14 students for that cohort, for that summer program cohort last year. And then the the motor the, the the you know our reputation grew our brand grew, and the wonderful mentorship that was provided by other studios and sponsors to be able to come in and see the work that we were doing, enabled us to give over thirty scholarships I think from the last three intro to game making courses, for BAME and BIPOC individuals to participate into the intro to game making courses, which were funded by all of these wonderful studios. And then, yeah, this year we've been able to curate a program, the International Game Developers Association Foundation, with Grant for the Web to facilitate their diverse uh, game developers fund, prototype fund, um, which is a really, really interesting program all about alternative web monetization. And then, yeah, uh, we've got the other summer program in conjunction with Facebook Gaming coming up in a couple of weeks. So it's through the work of these partners and investment that we've been able to constantly deliver these courses like that. But the whole point is to make sure that we try and keep everything accessible. Like with our uh, game making courses, people can purchase them individually, but all of our classes are limited to 13 students in a class, which means, you know, we could drive up those prices, for example, because of the limited spaces, but that isn't who we're targeting. That's not who this is for. So they have to remain accessible. And then the same thing with the summer program in Elevate. People, especially underrepresented people, do not usually get paid fairly or for the work that they do. They do a lot of free labor. And that isn't something that we're is part of our values. So we have to make sure that those are, you know, everybody's paid for their time mm -hmm. um, to create the work that they're doing. So it's it's very much the kindness of our sponsors and then our ongoing, you know, getting to that rev model where we are looking at being completely independent and sustainable. Sounds uh, like a lot of a hustle as well on your end. And 
One thing I, I can take away as well important for you is really not compromising on your values for uh, monetary gains. And this is rare, but in the end, this is, as I believe as well, a long-term strategy where you don't compromise that things that are, even the reason, you know, why you started this, if you start to compromise with it, what's left. So I admire a lot of the hustle that you've done, you know, with Coven so far. <laughs> and that leads to my question as well on, uh, well, how do you manage all the work on this and personal life? Maybe if you have a certain routine you would like to share, how are you doing all of this? <laughs> I have dreams of a certain routine. I'm uh, very grateful to the pandemic for making sure that I don't have a personal <laughs> life. <laughs> no, um, you know what? It's hard. You must find it hard as well. Like I listen to a lot of audiobooks or podcasts about how all of these impressive people manage their schedules. And what I do realize is taking care of yourself. I need to get better at this. But taking care of yourself means you can take care of everyone else better. And now I, I have a very clear understanding of why all of these busy and important people get up at five o'clock in the morning to do their run, to you know eat healthily and to take care of their exercise <laughs> before their day starts, because it's the only time that they have to put themselves first. <laughs> I think that's the most important thing is just putting yourself first and trying to get those boundaries in place. But it's really, I haven't mastered the discipline yet. I'm trying to get better at it, but I haven't quite got there yet. How about you? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I have to say that COVID has changed my my perception of, of it. I used to, I don't know, when there was like no lockdown, wake up, getting started with a day of work, you know, and then just go by the day and then the day is over and then maybe relaxing a bit in the evening and, and so on. But with uh, the lockdown, I understood a bit the same way as, as uh, you did. I need to have a certain space where I fully take care of myself. So I have a certain balance, even uh, sanity of mind. So I, I do have a routine in the morning to a bit of workout, I don't know, reading philosophy, just doing things that I enjoy, uh, watering my plants, observing a bit my mini garden on the balcony, just things that make me happy to just get started <laughs> the day in a very zen way. But it took me, it only it's only since last year that I really created this routine. And I was, now I'm, I'm thinking about it. I wonder how was I doing before? I, I felt like I was always in the rush, <laughs> but actually I, I learned to be in, uh, still doing a lot of things, but doing it slow. You know, do which is a, a discipline that you have to impose mm. to yourself. I found, did you, I don't know if you found the same thing, but my capacity for multitasking prior to the pandemic felt like it was higher. And like, I could still multitask, but I realized that I'm trying to multitask too much. And now I just want to solely focus on one thing mm -hmm. and do it clearly and do it well and not think of anything else while I, and I think that's, in a way why I enjoy weight training so much and strength training is because I can only focus on carrying the weight. If I focus on anything <laughs> else, it's going to be a disaster. Somebody's going to get hurt. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's just being still in those moments, right? Being really present is, is a helpful mindset. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but sport is really a discipline where you cannot do anything else on the side. You have to be hyper-focused. I do a, a lot of yoga or Pilates and 
I have my full attention on the trainer to just follow a movement and not die, you know, while breathing and etc. So it's a good activity to remind yourself, I'm fine actually just doing one thing. I don't have to be all over the place uh, and, and learning exactly to yeah. to uh, put more focus on, um, on activities. Yeah, interesting year of the pandemic for the, for the best and the worst. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I feel like I almost wasted all of this time when I could have been getting, you know, fit and healthy. And instead, I'm like, oh, I wasted that. Whoops. <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> We are learning uh, each year, each day. And uh, I think for the best part of it, it's reflecting on ourselves and how, you know, we want to use our time. And um, a bit further on the values, because also you mentioned a part of your values that are really important. Uh, sounds like also personal values, but uh, I was wondering, with Kurt Coven as well, what are these values that really are core to your organization, yourself? Mm -hmm. I think it's, um, you know, for us, it's that uh, we, we always talk about giving people confidence, compassion, and also that, you know, a safe space. And for us that, you know, we make everybody, for example, sign a code of conduct. Um, and it's general, like, it's, 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 it's nothing too scary. It's just like, just be a decent person, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, and it's also trying to remove the power dynamics. So this, you know, everybody who signs our code of conduct is our, our students, our cohort, but our mentors and everybody who part of our program sign the same thing. So everybody's equal and they, mm -hmm. they just have to respect those world real rules treat each other kindly with compassion and I think one of the big things you know in in just in my life in my personal values in the values of Code Coven is trying to approach everything of like how do we reduce trauma how do we make things more easy and kind and caring and reduce because especially as people who have been marginalized we're seeing micro we're experiencing microaggressions over and over again in our day-to-day -day lives. So what can we do to reduce that? And even if it's, if I'm having a bit of a misunderstanding with a colleague or something, I can identify, okay, I'm have, I'm experiencing this. This is, traumatic is a little bit of a big word for, for, for that experience, but this is causing me anxiety. Okay, mm -hmm. well, why is it causing me anxiety? Because I have expectations, this is blocking me, or, you know, I haven't, I don't have the information I need to be able to go. That makes it really easy to talk to my colleague and go, hey, <laughs> help me out with this. <laughs> you know, I know you don't want me to be experiencing this. So can you can you give me a hand? And maybe, you know, you'll you'll learn about what they're experiencing and to just constantly stay in that state of learning and less about judgment, you know. And yeah, and then equally that to remember that we're all on a period of growth and continually to update ourselves. You know, too often we can pigeonhole ourselves in a way into who we were, or who we were painted to be at some point in our careers. Like it's hard for me to think of myself as a CEO and entrepreneur. I still think of myself as that level game, you know, game designer 20 years ago. And I was like, oh, well, maybe I need to update my LinkedIn, <laughs> you know, and accept that everybody else is going through the same thing. It's really, really human. Yeah, very inclusive values. And I, I like that you use a code of conduct, which 
could be also a takeaway for the audience when you are creating a culture. I think it's very mature to use a code of conduct actually to reflect explicitly the values, the behavior which are desired in the environment. And it's it's an agreement, both ends, that you will respect, you know, this uh, the behavior, mutual respect. And uh, I see as well in companies, we assume this to happen. And when it doesn't happen, you know, nobody can be called out because from the beginning, there was no formal agreement how what is expected. So actually, I think it's a good practice, mm-hmm. although it could look scary to have a code of conduct to make it clear. We as an organization value a lot of these behaviors, these practices. And if you decide to join us, you have to respect this. So I think it's a very good practice. Exactly. And I find that especially when it's enforced in a leadership capacity as well, like it has to be, so it's not just to protect the old guard that already exists, you know, it's, and the company. It's there to protect the individual and to make sure that we're just all on the same playing field. And I don't think it's also about cancelling somebody either, but it's giving that stake in the ground of saying, maybe you've broached, uh, breached this. This is the uh, part of our code of conduct. Talk me through that. Why did that happen? You know, and then evaluating, well, if, mm-hmm. you know, huge breach, <laughs> you've got to go. Or, okay, there's a discussion to be had here, you know, and an educational or a learning point to take away. And for the people joining, they feel safe because they are protected by the system you've created, which is really important as well. So it's a guarantee, you know, for people who have had experience, maybe traumatic experience, because that is the case sometimes, that they're joining this environment, they will be protected and they can trust that things will be, you know, taken care of seriously. And about... Hard decisions. So related to values, what are your guiding principles when you need to make a hard decision on when you need to part ways, for example, or even when you had to split your road between gaming or educational, like going for Code Coven? So how do you make this process for you? Yeah, it's about, uh, it all goes back to reducing trauma. For us, it's um, an anxiety and, uh, you know, why is a hard decision hard? And is it a matter of, well, if we can't financially afford it, is that going to be a problem? Is there a, a way we can solve that? You know, looking at those. And I always go back to getting the input of the team to be able to make those decisions. Um, and then looking at what the social impact value is. This a, you know, what is the cost? And unfortunately, I hate that. I hate going back to that because that sounds so businessy. What is the cost? And then looking at what the passion of the team or the community or the uh, you know, is invested in that. And, you know, there are definitely times where we've had to have difficult conversations as part of a team. And for that, it is it, it's, it's just going back to those human elements of this is where I was. These were the expectations. And what we've learned each time is how do I make those expe- expectations clearer and clearer and clearer? How do we set people up to succeed? I don't want to catch people out or, you know, develop programs that catch people out. It's how do I give them the easiest path to success? And it's a success that isn't just ticking boxes here. It's to success that you can take whatever you've learned, whether you're a team member of Code Coven, a participant in any of our programs, a mentor or a partner. How do we make this the best, kindest and enriching experience? And that means that we're always in a state of perpetual learning again. And that's what, what we learn as even game developers. We design first-time user experiences. We design our narratives in our games so that we teach people things as we, as they 
become masters of the mechanics that we implement. So we're always cognizant of it. And that's what we, you know, try to instill with what we do at Code Coven and like difficult decisions. Why is this difficult? You know? Mm-hmm. I will take that away as well from you to, you know, so not just accept, okay, this is a hard decision, but going a bit deeper, understand what, what is what is the friction behind. So that's a very good uh, advice as well. Let's touch a bit more on the topic of uh, diversity and inclusion, although we have talked quite a lot about it through all our conversation at the core <laughs> of what we talked about today. I was curious more for Kurt Coven, how do you reflect, for example, in the students that you recruit? So if you could uh, share a bit more of your process, like where do you find them? Do you have specific channels, uh, ways of communi- channels of communication? And how also do you select them to make sure that it uh, fits your value, the diversity that you try to serve with Code Coven? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we try to... There are so many people out there looking for the opportunity. Um, so gratefully, they've been able to find us. But, you know, we, we reach out to other like-minded communities. And of course, the value of what we invest in our students and communities means that they it's the ripple effect. So they go on to start their own initiatives and you know, bring other people on board, tell them about the program, tell them how to get involved, to be able to support you know, in, individually support the people in their studios, but also the change that they want to see. You know, part of that is what we look for is particularly to support people of marginalized genders. And we also, you know, recognize that there's intersectionality in terms of the the stresses of people's lives. And that's, you know, to do with the gender, to do with race and to do with age. I, I will throw age in as somebody who's getting older. <laughs> um, you know, the limitations that that, that that we do have and stigmas associated with that with the work-life balance that um, that are around. And so, you know, with a lot of the applications that we write or that we uh, post for people to apply to, we try and be, again, as kind as possible and as explicit as possible of what we are looking for. And those are people who are committed to Uh, you know, depending on the level of the program. For intro to game making, we're looking at for people who are interested in pursuing a career in games, you know, in a hobbyist way and trying to see if this is a viable career path for them. For the summer program, it is for people who are committed to developing a career in games, maybe don't have the points of access that they, uh, you know, normally would because they don't live in big cities that have, you know, a game development hubs or they don't have the opportunities to and they've participated in many game jams and things like that and they've shown a dedication to it uh, but they haven't been given the necessary opportunity to that because they're being judged perhaps on a scale that isn't fair and is systemically implemented in in society. And then for Elevate, for example, for our um, incubator, it's looking at developers who wouldn't necessarily, you know, aligned with like Wings Wings Interactive's values of how do we get money, development, publishing to more diverse studios who are usually being denied because you can read the reports out there. That money isn't there. And for me, you know, like I, I almost hate the topic, the 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 word diversity or the phrase diversity and inclusion because it feels to me so soft. And people laugh at me in a way because I like, you know, people are like, well, we just make games, Tara. It's just not. It's just making games. It's not saving the world. And when you see reports of uh, people being affected by digital poverty, which are systemically 
impacting those of marginalized genders and race. And you see the pandemic especially hitting people severely of people who are of marginalized race or underrepresented races and people um, you know who are primary caregivers typically are you know people who identify as as women being impacted in their career growth and hit back by 30 years of progression because of something like the pandemic we as game developers who have seen so much growth during this this time have a an obligation, I feel, to be able to open those doors up. So yes, we can save lives. We can save lives by opening doors of opportunity for diverse people to make games and have careers and just have that growth. And it's something that I'm so passionate about because it's such a wonderful opportunity to be able to do. Yeah. And I would say beyond that, uh, not an opportunity, but we're living, living in a world that is just with very different individuals. I am behind us with the world a bit like obligation, you know, where we cannot ignore it anymore uh, unless we want to keep a gay, gaming industry like very close industry. I think there's a strong realization that we have to change our bias, our beliefs, what we've seen before. And if we want to make it a mass market, you know, mass market activity, that everybody could play games, then it's also made by everybody. And that's not the case today. Not the same opportunities for everyone. Exactly. And but just don't you find, as an industry, we are so talented at this. You know, we look at whether you're designing for, you know, AAA console or you're designing for a Switch, the form factors are entirely different. Nintendo had the boldness to, you know, decide to make games for everyone. It's very much zero to 99 and, mm-hmm. um, you know, out in sort of left field in terms of what you can play versus, you know, what you can play on, uh, a, you know, console to PC and all of that. And we are designed as an industry to move quickly, to be agile, to design to these different form factors. So why aren't we applying these values to how we work, you know? (laughs) Oh, it's changing slowly and we are part of this. And I'm pretty sure for the listeners as well, maybe we'll ticker some new thoughts of something that can also change already from today in their environment. I'm very excited for the future. (laughs) Maybe that's very optimistic, but um, no, I I think change is happening now. A bit further about the games as well. I'm curious, since in the program you have welcomed really, I think, really nice people. I I love the students I've met, like very funny and not people I used to work with, you know. So it was it was really interesting and a rich experience. I'm curious about the games that have marked you the most, the, the ones that, you know, came out of the program that they couldn't have been created in any other way if it wasn't this group. Oh, gosh. Oh gosh, I don't want to play favorites. There's no favorites. There are just so many of them. It's just so remarkable. Um, yeah, uh, you know, recently one of the ones we do talk about quite a bit is with mismatched games as part of the summer program. Four developers came together having never met each other before and they made Detours, which is a narrative adventure game that takes two exes on a road trip across America together. And it's a story about a queer relationship and it's 
so delightful and the team are so wonderful and you know that holds a special place in my heart because of of their story and yeah it's on on steam and itch so i recommend everybody goes and plays it but then i look at the um, games that the most recent igm cohort made and to see so many protagonists and characters that were built um, that were created that are young black women is like it brings me to tears it's just and for all of them to know you know like we don't they also noted we don't see these many this many black characters in games you know so to create something that represents us is and to see so many of them you know is really really beautiful and Mm -hmm. they created games that were about you know drinking enough water or uh, watering your plants and really wholesome and self-care kind of games and most recently in one of our um, igms uh one of our participants created a game about fertility as an older woman older sorry i'm doing air quotes here older woman (laughs) you know but you know something that people who menstruate have to real or have to deal with is that ticking timer of if you do want to have kids what does your biological clock determine you know and how how to navigate that and to see that in a game (laughs) um, is really really powerful you know it's similarly like you look at the prime minister of new zealand and her for her to put in uh, bereavement leave after a woman has or somebody who menstruates has miscarried that's the kind of change we need to see you know or to talk about and acknowledge right so there are so many other stories to be told and just a few ones you mentioned i i think sounds great and uh just to so represent the world we are living in. We are not in this world that is this bubble or a partial picture of uh, what we were told maybe 30, 40 years ago. Even in, in entertainment and movies, this is changing a lot. And I think we should also take the turn in games as we are you know, a big medium of entertainment. And to close the conversation we have had today, Uh, Let's look a bit towards a bright future together. And I have a few hot questions. The first is, uh, what are the next big steps for Code Coven? How can we help? Um, How can you help uh, support us, hire our alumni, come be a part of our mentoring programs, uh, throw money at us, (laughs) help sponsor some of these programs. We've got uh, the really great summer program coming up with Facebook Gaming, and we're just opening our mentor applications for that. Um, So it's a really great opportunity to get involved and see all the amazing things that the cohort will create. And then hopefully another program coming up at the end of the year and more IGMs where we're always looking intro to game making courses which where we're looking for inspirational representational speakers to talk about their experiences in the industry and you know if you can see it you can be it um and then yeah you know we're, we're going to be hosting more BAME and BIPOC scholarships and outreach and trying to address issues of digital poverty and accessibility to to the next generation of game developers so you know if people would like to get in touch and email me and find ways to support that would be fantastic but we've got really exciting you know, programming coming up um, and great alumni to hire and be a part of your teams <laughs> I'll share the link in uh, this episode so people who are listening to the episode today can reach out to you and, you know, for any kind of collaboration and support. My second question, who is your role model in the industry or not from the industry that inspired you heavily in your journey? Oh my gosh, um, there are so many. 
So many who people who didn't know they were doing it either. <laughs> uh, one of the big ones is um, Brenda Bailey, who was my CEO at Deep Fried Entertainment. Um, and she also started many years ago a studio called Silicon Sisters with Kristen Forbes in Vancouver. And that was a narrative game studio, particularly for uh, women. And she was way ahead of her time. Unfortunately, you know, and I'm mad. Uh, I I I am so inspired by how she was championing um, for this change 10, 15 years ago, and now she's actually a um, MP out in uh, Vancouver for uh, one of the districts out there, which is just incredible. She's such a such a badass. <laughs> um, she's done so many things, but yeah, she she didn't necessarily. I wouldn't say no. She was inspiring me, but she definitely was, and I learned a lot from her. And then, you know, particularly like Josh Nielsen of Eastside Games made me, he, he just sort of, you know, said things like, why don't you start your own company, Tara, or something like that. And I didn't realize I could until somebody else said it to me. And he never second guessed why I would, why, why wouldn't I, you know? Um, so it's the little comments like that. I just want everybody to remember that you have the opportunity to inspire and change help somebody wake up in a way to what they can do just by being little, you know, little bits of support like that. So, And I'm sure you did today as well with your own journey for others asking themselves, why not me? Uh, you need always, you know, people around to make you question like, I shouldn't leave it myself. I can do this. So it's, it's great. Hey, if I can do this, you can definitely, anybody out there can definitely do this. So, so I will be everyone's biggest hype woman. I, I, um, I enjoy that. <laughs> and my last question, uh, if you had one thing you, you'd like to change right now in the industry, what would it be? Uh, equity? <laughs> um, well, yeah, I would just love to see uh, just more diverse representation again. Fairness, fair pay. Oh gosh, one thing. I'd really like to see more people applying to be systems designers. <laughs> <laughs> rather than narrative designers but mm -hmm. we need more designers <laughs> <laughs> yes i can uh, support that having seen designers they're very precious the system designers as well well thank you tara that was my last question for today and it was a uh, really entertaining joyful to talk to you today thank you very much for having me sophie take care Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this new episode of Raise and Play podcast. If you enjoyed the content and want to support what we're doing, rate and review the podcast. Spread the word about it. If you'd like to contribute to the change too, reach out to me on LinkedIn for a collaboration. You'll find all the rest of the content on riseandplay.io, including my free masterclass on conscious leadership. Until the next time, 